Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discuss the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and my favorite Dolly Parton song is Islands in the Stream. You know, that's not what I would have guessed, but it's and a now, good song. And now that I've said it, it's stuck in my head. And I'm Misty, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my favorite Dolly Parton song is Hard Candy Christmas. Very timely, because uh, if you feel growing excitement right now, it's because you are listening to us talk about Dolly Parton. And the whole episode is going to be about Dolly Parton. And she's in a lot of Christmas movies. She's done a lot of Christmas songs. She has a new Christmas album this year. Oh, I didn't know she had a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, this is now just a Dolly Parton fan podcast. (laughs) And I'm sure not the first one. Oh, I'm definitely sure not the first one. How much do you know about Dolly Parton? I know very little about her personally. I know quite a bit about music and probably more about her in movies. And some news stories from this year, but I don't really know anything about her life. I mean, I think I know she's from Tennessee that I think she had a fairly impoverished childhood. And I think that's the extent of my knowledge. I couldn't even tell you what decade she was born in. See, and I was debating cutting all of this because I was like, well, surely everyone knows all of this stuff. And now I'm just realizing that my childhood was very, very specifically tailored to this. Yeah, I think some people grow up learning all about Dolly Parton and other people don't. And you're in the don't. (laughs) Yeah, and my parents are both fans of Dolly Parton, but it was not something that we frequently discussed. No. My grandparents are huge fans and they even like took us to Dollywood as children. Wow. So this is like a real big part of my childhood. And I guess I just assumed that like everybody did that. And now I'm learning that that's not the case. (laughs) You went to Dollywood. You you know, one of the things most appealing about Dolly Parton is that your grandparents and you can both be fans of the same person. And there are not a lot of musicians or a lot of actors or a lot of public figures who someone and their grandparents would both be huge fans of. Yeah, it's basically Dolly Parton and Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) your grandparents are fans of jimmy buffett they used to go to concerts and stuff oh my god okay (laughs) um so anyway um that's that speaks to her broad appeal um and it isn't that she's just generic i mean she's the opposite of that so it's striking that a person with that much personality and that who expresses these strong opinions can be appealing to so many different people um, who oh, have. Just wait. When we talk about different people that love Dolly Parton, just wait. Cause I have some things I think that are going to really surprise you. I cannot wait to be surprised. Okay. So Dolly Parton was born in January of 1946 in Tennessee. She is the fourth of 12 children. Okay. So if you're a fan of her music, if you listen to the song, My Tennessee Mountain Home or My Coat of Many Colors, those are songs that are very specifically about her childhood. And I think one of the things that makes those songs so great is how vivid the imagery is in those songs. She's very much a storyteller in her music. She gets these really just like vivid, vivid imageries of what it was like to grow up in the mountains, to grow up in poverty. Her family is um, very religiously oriented as she grows up performing in church and then she graduates high school and the next day she moves to Nashville and becomes a songwriter and that's really what she wanted to do she wanted to be a songwriter she also wanted to perform but she was told really early on that her voice was just too weird she was often told that she sounded too much like Minnie Mouse to be a country singer Wow, what terrible advice she was given. Right. But then when you think about the other singers of the time, you do see a huge difference. Like Patsy Cline's voice mm-hmm. is so different from Dolly Parton's. 
And Patsy Cline was the big star, the big female country star, right before Dolly gets to Nashville. And Patsy Cline died in a plane crash right before Dolly got to Nashville. So there's kind of like this, yeah, there's this like break about a year between them. So um, eventually she's going to get offered a part on a show that Porter Wagner was doing. Porter Wagner is kind of, um, I don't even know a modern day equivalent to this. Do you know who Porter Wagner is? No. Okay. Uh, it's like, do you know what Hee Haw is? No. <laughs> okay. It's like kind of a sketchy variety show. Sonny and Cher had a show like this. Do you know Sonny and Cher? I mean, I know the people. Do I know their show? No. I don't think there's anything like this on modern TV where like it's a a guy that sings and does like some sketches and then talks to the audience. It's a very old fashioned kind of TV show. But Porter Wagner always had what was called the girl singer on his show. He was the main part of it. But then for duets or for some songs, he'd bring a girl singer out. (laughs) And she gets offered to be his girl singer. (laughs) So at first the audience hates her. They actually booed her and uh, Porter Wagner, to his credit, basically told the audience, look, I like her and you're going to have to learn to like her, too. That's bold. Um, Did they boo her because of her voice or because of her personality or her? So the previous girl singer, they had really liked her, Um, but there were rumors that she and Porter were having an affair. And he needed her to leave because, you know, he's married. I see. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he, I don't want to paint him as a hero in this situation. Well, no, I mean, he doesn't come off as a hero. but <laughs> That's good because he's really not. So that's how she became famous or that's how she became known or that's how she got into the industry. And that was yes. the 70s? Uh, uh, late 60s. Okay. And then what really kind of pushes her into the spotlight is their duets. And they have so many albums that are just duets between the two of them. Eventually, he's going to start pushing her to do some more solo work. And this becomes one of the things I think he regrets later. Because he pushes her, he pushes her, he pushes her. She starts to do solo work. And then she becomes more famous than him. And eventually she's going to have to leave the show because she's just too big of a name and she wants to do her own stuff. Yeah, because so. um, no, none of us know who Porter Wagner is. So <laughs> if, he right. was, if he was hoping to just help out poor little Dolly Parton, um, yeah, he pushed her and then she took off because we all know her and none of us but you know who he and is. And if you watch Hee Haw. You know who he is. So um, he doesn't want to let her leave, obviously. So she's going to write this song, I Will Always Love You, about ending their professional relationship. So that's the other song that's going to get stuck in my head. Yes. So that song, once he hears it, he says, well, I guess you can go ahead and go if you let me produce this song for you. So they do that. She leaves. And then he sees how famous she gets and he sues her for breach of contract. Oh my God. Yeah. He sues her. And the, the numbers here are a little weird depending on which documents you read, but he either sued her for a million to $3 million somewhere in that range. And at the time, like she's getting famous, but she's not, I mean, she's not famous, famous yet. So they had to settle and she had to make payments on it. Are you kidding me? No, but it, this, this does actually kind of have a happy ending at the end. So eventually... Did she falls, push him off of a train? He falls on some real hard times. And this is way later in her career in which she actually does have a lot of money. And so she financially helps him out. And then um, on his deathbed, she's actually one of the last people that comes to see him before he dies. So they end up making up. Well, it sounds like she just ended up being a nice person because he sounds like a real turd. He could be. 
I mean, there are parts of the story where he like does give her her break and he does push her and he believes in her when nobody else does. But he definitely doesn't want her to outshine him. He definitely still wants to be the main person on the show. Well, sorry. We still right. don't know who Porter Wagner is. <laughs> and as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to forget his name. Um, you should. It's not really <laughs> worth remembering. <laughs> So in the 1970s, she starts to have a lot of hit songs. Um, Joshua, I think, is one of her first big ones. Code of Many Colors, The Right Combination. Um, lots of duets with Porter Wagner, Tennessee Mountain Home, Traveling Man, and then Jolene. And you know the song Jolene, right? Of course. I think everyone knows Jolene. So in doing this research, I found out that Nelson Mandela was a huge Dolly Parton fan, and he really loved the song Jolene. What? Yes. Do you know who Kinky Friedman is? Of course I do, Misty. I am from Texas. Okay, for those people who are not from Texas, can you explain Kinky Friedman? I know that's I a big question. I don't think anyone can explain Kinky Friedman. I mean, first of all, his name is Kinky Friedman. So he's a musician. Um, he's a satirist. I believe he writes for the Texas Monthly Magazine. Ran for governor one time or a couple oh, times. He, he did. And he writes novels. So um, he wrote a song called the Nelson Mandela blues, which um, sounds like something he would do. <laughs> and that ended up getting him connected to some of Nelson Mandela's people. And he was told, Oh, Nelson Mandela is this huge country music fan, but you're not his favorite. His favorite is Dolly Parton. <laughs> and apparently while he was in prison, Nelson Mandela eventually like earned the trust of his guards and they let him pick the music and they would play it over loudspeakers. And one of the songs he played quite a bit was Jolene. <laughs> I, this is hard for me to imagine, but I love it. I know, right? Like even Nelson Mandela loves Dolly Parton. Who would have thought? So before we leave the 1970s, I do want to talk about that song. I will always love you, which is again, her professional break from Wagner. This is like her goodbye song to him. That song alone ends up making Dolly millions and millions of dollars. Both her iteration of it and the other, right? Yeah. But this song does something that's kind of amazing and super rare. This song tops the charts in the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s. It tops the charts when it's first produced. Then it's used in a movie for Dolly Parton in the 80s. And then it's used by Whitney Houston in a movie in the 90s. Mm -hmm. There are very few songs that can be a number one in three decades. So that's absolutely amazing. Bohemian Rhapsody. But anyway, um, so most people, I think, our age or around our age, are familiar with that song because of Whitney Houston's performance of it and because of the movie that it was in. I think it was 10 years later that I learned that Dolly Parton had written that song and had recorded her own version of that song. So she, and there are a lot of songs, right, that she has written that other people sang and made famous. Oh, yes. She's written thousands of songs. I mean, she's a prolific writer. And she wrote, I will always love you in one evening. There's all these stories about her in the 70s, like writing down a whole song on the back of her seat or on the um, tag from a dry cleaners. She just was constantly having these songs come to her and she would just write them down on whatever was close by. Okay, so that's the 70s. As we know, the 70s, the second wave feminism was Dolly Parton an active feminist in the 1970s? This is tricky. So some scholars refer to Dolly Parton as the OG third wave feminist. So what we mean by that is in the second wave of feminism, you have the women's rights movement of the 1970s. So a lot of marches, a lot of freedom trash cans with the um, metaphorical bra burning. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of rejection of shaving, of makeup, a lot of pantsuits. And then you have Dolly Parton, who has the giant hair the rhinestones, the makeup, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. She's doing everything that feminists are advocating for. She's standing up for herself. She's running her own business. She's very much in charge of her own career. 
but she rejects the term feminist. I think um, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Julia Child. For a certain generation of Americans, that word has such a divisive context that they almost can't accept seeing themselves in that way. Does that make sense? It does. And if feminism is seen as not the way we see when I see it today, right, where we say that gender role barriers should be dissolved and that people should kind of steer the course of their own life. But in the 70s, it was really before we could get to where we are now, we first had to kind of reject the feminine stereotypes and the feminine gender roles. And to some people that had the appearance of rejecting femininity, right? Women saying, I don't want to be feminine and you can't associate traditional feminine behaviors with feminism. So there were a lot of people who liked being feminine, right? A lot of people who liked wearing right. dresses and liked wearing makeup or liked being uh, stay-at-home wives and mothers. So for those people, it seemed like feminism was rejecting them. Right. And to some other people, it seemed like it was rejecting men. And that's what Dolly said when she was asked about this. Um, to me, when you say the word feminist, it's like saying, I hate all men. Now, she's had some evolution in this thought. So a little bit later, she's talking to Time magazine and she does say, maybe I'm a feminist. Um, I do believe women should be able to do everything they want to do, but I don't want to go out and carry signs. So she exists in this world of like, she's doing everything feminists would advocate women to do, but she doesn't want to embrace that word. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a tricky place. And I think a lot of feminists wish she would embrace that word. But then to some extent, whether Dolly Parton wants to be or not, she becomes this feminist icon. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, there are people that call her St. Dolly. So <laughs> I mean, to some extent, Dolly I mean, Parton's she's, a feminist hero. I mean, she's embodying all of the things that that feminists discuss or strive for and we have evolved the feminist mindset and it's hard for some people to kind of shake the stink off that word for lack of a better metaphor which i promise you i wish i had but it, it can be challenging to change your perspective on a word that evokes very very strong feelings for a lot of people and I also wonder if some of her ambivalence about that word is how she herself was treated by second wave feminists, because I do think some of them treated her as a joke early on. She has the big blonde hair. She was very willing to make boob jokes about herself. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a famous joke that she used to make. What's worse than a giraffe with a sore throat? Dolly Parton with a chest cold. <laughs> I mean, that's a joke she makes about herself. And I think it was easy to dismiss her as this like blonde bimbo, even though she was living all of the ideals that second wave feminism would have told her to live. She mm -hmm. just didn't look the right way. Which so of I course think, prescribing how a person should look or dress or act is anti-feminist now. Yes. But at the time wearing a sparkly low cut short bedazzled dress seemed anti-feminist so i could see why the she and the word are at odds sometimes but i what whether she calls herself that or not she is certainly someone who is important to the women's movement and to feminism in general yeah and i think even broader than that just to americans right who doesn't love dolly parton it's so hard not to love dolly parton yeah, I, I couldn't even think just in broad strokes of a demographic that would that would reject Dolly Parton because she has gospel songs, you know, she has Christmas songs, she's in Hallmark Christmas movies, she has these very classic country songs, she has duets with, you know, Kenny Rogers. And Miley Cyrus. And Miley Cyrus. Um, I think she's Miley Cyrus's godmother, if I'm not mistaken. She has appeal to everyone. And even if you're a person who thinks, oh, she dresses too flashy or she seems 
foul-mouthed or something or you take offense at the jokes but then you know she sings a devotional song you know so she's definitely got an appeal for everyone and i that's not because she's trying to appeal to everyone it's right. just because that's who she is she's not afraid to be contradictory in just countless ways so in the 1980s she moves a little bit more into movies. I think the big one that people probably know is Nine to Five. Great movie. So we have we have talked about Nine to Five before, um, the comedy film with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, yes. three great feminist icons. Um, important movie because it shows women in the workplace. It shows women overthrowing this misogynist bigot of a boss even though the way they overthrow him is a little madcap. It's a commercially successful film. I think people still think of it as one of the best comedies of all time. I think there's a musical now? The there, is, musical? there is a 9 to 5 musical, and it opened... I mean, it's not happening right now, of course, because Broadway is closed, but it opened in... Man, 2009 on Broadway, and Dolly Parton actually wrote a bunch of new songs for the musical version. Um, she's also going to begin to become involved in LGBTQ support, and um, if not outright activism, it's kind of a fine line there with Dolly. And in 1986, she opens Dollywood. So where did that come from? I mean, how does a person just say, I think tomorrow I'll open a theme park about myself? So the theme park was pre-existing. And then it had a few other owners, and she becomes a part owner in 1986. Her idea was essentially like a Tennessee Disneyland. So, so it was know, just like an old abandoned amusement park? It wasn't abandoned. It just was struggling. Okay. And her plan is like, again, Tennessee Disneyland. She's going to make it like an old-time country amusement park. Um, you can go and like look at a model of what her one-room shack that she grew up in looks like. And there's going to be songs, and they do a big Christmas thing. But she also thought that it would be great for the economy of that area mm -hmm. to have something like that. And she's right. It's the largest employer in that region. So, I mean, she's dead on. And, and... It employs a lot of people and brings tourism into yes. the area, which, you know, secondarily employs a lot of people. Yes. And, like, there is a whole industry. Like, you can go visit Loretta Lynn's cabin after you visit Dollywood. You know, like, there's a whole thing that pops up in the Tennessee Mountain region. But I think Dollywood is really the premier destination for that. And then... And she, I love that in the 1980s, a woman named an amusement park after herself. I know, right? And nobody complained. I mean, just think about that. I mean, think about naming a place Misty Land. Yeah, that doesn't sound very no, It just sounds like it's raining all the time. But, I mean, that is bold. And it's not, like, egomaniacal because it's just, it's, it's not. It's Dolly Parton. But it's very bold. And she just did it. And everyone was just like, that that makes sense. That's cool. We like it. And then my grandparents were like, get in the car. We're going. <laughs> so then in the 90s, so, she, I think, moves into more real activism. She does. And I think by the 90s, right, she has a lot more money. So she yes. has started to make decisions about what she wants to do with her money. And like some people, but unlike many people who become wealthy, she starts to make very serious commitments to charity and to giving back. And two of the things that she is relatively well known for in terms of philanthropy start in the 1990s. So the first one I want to talk about is that in 1993, she and a few other country artists agreed to be in a public awareness campaign about HIV and AIDS. This is about 10, 11 years after people started to become aware of HIV and AIDS, but this is still very much in the period of time where people didn't really talk about it, didn't say it out loud. And so we really legitimately needed public awareness campaigns. And people were just not comfortable talking about HIV and AIDS, despite the fact that awareness prevents 
transmission a lot of the times. But a lot of organizations and businesses, institutions, they prohibited mentioning the words HIV and AIDS or a lot of pretending it didn't exist because it was seen as controversial and they don't want to. So for her to agree to be in this uh, awareness campaign was important. Yeah, I think there's like a, um, a national misremembering of AIDS. We forget that it was called a gay disease. And that it was seen as something shameful to have. Uh-huh. And so for somebody like Dolly to attach her name to that, it's groundbreaking. I mean, in the, it, in the early 80s, it was called GRID. It was called gay-related immune deficiency. And That's, some people said it was like a plague from God, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, some people still think that, but yes. <laughs> and And a lot of people, it took a very long time for people just generally to stop con connecting a medical condition with a moral failing. And in that interim, when public consciousness was, ca was catching up, Dolly Parton was already there, right? So she was part of this campaign. In 1994, she contributed a song, You Gotta Be My Baby, to a benefit album called Red Hot and Country. And the Dollywood Foundation donates money to both the American Red Cross and HIV and AIDS related charities. And I will tell you, country music in general was especially a step behind in terms of having this conversation. So another country music singer went to the CMAs in 1992, the Country Music Association's Awards. In 1992, they were all wearing green ribbons for the environment. Remember when we were worried about the ozone layer, Misty, in 1992? So they were all wearing green ribbons, and this uh, singer, Kathy Mateo, was wearing a red ribbon uh, for HIV and AIDS. And she started talking about it on stage, even though she had kind of been forbidden to bring it up. And oh. so... She it was not just important for public figures to talk about and bring awareness and contribute money to research, but it was especially bold for country musicians to do it because that industry was even farther behind in terms of catching up to this mindset in the nineties, right? That it's okay to talk about it. It's important to talk about it. People are struggling and dying and they need help. And then Dolly is going to help break down that wall. Yes, absolutely. She was not alone in doing that. A lot of musicians were part of those movements. And another thing that she started in the 1990s is the Imagination Library. And this is probably something that most people are familiar with, but maybe not. So just two years ago in 2018, she did a, a story time for children. And she did that story time at, at the Library of Congress. They were commemorating the 100 millionth book that the Imagination Library has sent to children, 100 million. So from 1990 to 2018, her organization had sent 100 million books to children. The Imagination Library provides a free book to children once a month from when they're born until they go to school. So until they're four or five. And she has said many times it's one of the things that she's proudest of, of anything in her life, of everything that she's done. One of the things she's proudest of is the Imagination Library. And I will tell you, it is extremely important to a child's development to have books to read. She knew that in 1990 and research has backed up this claim that reading out loud to a child and teaching a child to read, it promotes literacy and a love of reading, but it has very long lasting cognitive and educational benefits for a person who is read to and who learns to read and who has access to books at a, at a young age. And again, once a month, they get a free book. So yeah, it's kind of cool though. Cause like, I think my grandparents know Dolly just as a singer. I see her as like a singer actress. But there are people that are younger than us that think of Dolly as this lady that sent me books. Yes. And in fact, one of her proudest moments was when a child called her the book lady. Oh. She, I mean, she has always known that this is a way to help them build knowledge, but also expand their horizons. So they're very mindful of sending different kinds of books from different kinds of authors to, to children. And 
she initially launched this program just to help kids in her home county in Tennessee. And it just grew. It was popular. Everyone saw what it, the benefits of what she was doing. A lot of other organizations partner with the Imagination Library. And the other thing that's cool is the books come with suggestions for parents on how to engage with kids after the story. So questions to ask or activities to do to help children process what they've read about. So that's really cool. Yeah. And so here's a quote from Dolly Parton. You can't educate enough children. A lot of that came from the fact that a lot of my own relatives didn't get to go to school because we were mountain people. You have to get out and work and help feed the family. My own dad couldn't read and write. And my dad was very proud of me. He got to live long enough to see the Imagination Library do well. So he felt like he had done something good, too that he was the inspiration for it. That's amazing. And it, to, to just think about, <clears throat> we're talking about childhood literacy, we're talking about families addressing achievement gaps, we're talking about understanding the effects of poverty on children, breaking generational cycles of under-resourced education, giving kids a head start in school, helping parents and family develop these um, practices of literacy and critical thinking, but also just these like wonderful moments together where they can read a book. It's very simple, but it is very powerful. And she knew that from the very beginning. So it's not just in America, it's in many countries, it's Australia, Canada, but for something she wanted to start for one county in Tennessee to be this international phenomenon is quite impressive. I don't know very many celebrities that, or people, anybody that we could say that about. I mean, honestly, if she had just done that. Yeah, just that. <laughs> just that. But she did we're so just, much other stuff too. We're just getting started. You're probably going to remember this story. But in 1996, there was a lamb that was cloned. Do you remember this? Of course. The sheep? Yes. This is a big deal. Yeah. So the lamb was named Dolly. The reason that lamb was named Dolly is because the clone cell came from a mammary cell. And one of the people there decided, oh, it's a mammary gland. We should name this Dolly Parton. You have got to be kidding me. No. So, yeah, the, the clone sheep Dolly is named for Dolly Parton. So I read that and I was offended for her because that's rude. Yeah, it's rude. But? But I started kind of digging into this and... Again, Dolly is just very, very open about her body. And she makes these jokes. And when she heard about this, she was like, well, there's no such thing as bad press. So I'll take it. <laughs> I do remember that in response to some criticisms for how she dressed, she's very famous for saying it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. Yes. And I, I remember hearing that when I was a kid and not understanding it. But my mom just being so entertained by it. She doesn't take things personally in this very powerful way, in a way that empowers other people. I mean, her body positivity is inspiring to other people, right? Mm -hmm. She has this very humble, but also very bold approach. And she is okay with who she is and how other people respond to her in a way that makes other people feel like they can be okay in their own skin. So in the modern era, in the hellscape that is 2020, uh huh, Dolly Parton's been in the news a lot this year. Yes. So before we found out about the vaccine, which I do want to talk about, in May, she released a song called When Life is Good Again. And I put the link to the YouTube video in our show notes. Mm -hmm. So if you click on that link, I don't actually want you to listen to the song. What I want you to do is click on that link and then scroll down to the comments. I know this is like the cardinal rule of the internet. Never read the comments. But, I mean, Dolly Parton breaks every cardinal rule we have. But every this is an election year in the middle of a pandemic that has been very politicized. Like, everybody hates everybody. But if you read those comments, they're so nice. It's the nicest thing I've ever read on the internet. Every time things get bad, this woman always seems to amaze us all with her beautiful voice and awesome lyrics. My uncle has loved Dolly Parton since a young boy, and he's lying in ICU near death. This song just broke my heart to pieces. God, please let it be good again. 
when Dolly Parton says it's going to be all right, then you can take it to the bank. It is going to be all right. Isn't that amazing? I love you, Dolly. I've loved you for more than 50 years. No way will I ever stop loving you. You are an angel on earth. For anything to make people that united, I don't even care what it is. I'll take it. But it's exciting that it's Dolly. Dolly has always pulled me out of a dark time and she is doing it again. There's not one rude comment. No, and if you look at the ratio there, there's only 600 um, down thumbs and like 40,000 up thumbs. Who are these people giving down thumbs to this song? Then in the last few weeks, we've gotten more Dolly Parton news. So in November, it was announced that we have some vaccines coming for COVID-19. And one of the vaccines was able to be developed because very early on, Dolly Parton gave a million dollars to the team that was doing research. She gave money for this research? Yeah, so the story here is actually pretty great. About a decade ago, Dolly Parton was riding in an SUV with a friend of hers and they got in a wreck. So she ends up going to the hospital and while she's at the hospital, she ends up meeting a doctor. They become friends. That doctor goes on to do research and because they're friends, she is going to fund part of his research. And it just so happens that part of his research ends up being part of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. On top of that, so the doctor's son uh, works at Radiolab and does a lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. He doesn't believe his dad at first that his dad now knows Dolly Parton and is friends with Dolly Parton. So I guess kind of to prove it, the dad introduces them and the son ends up making a whole podcast, Dolly Parton's America, all about Dolly Parton. And I highly recommend it. It's really good. But I just love how these things are overlapping. So Dolly Parton meets a doctor after a car accident. She becomes friends with him, is impressed by his work. She donates money to his research. That research ends up funding the COVID vaccine. One of them, yes. That doctor's son doesn't believe his dad that he's friends with Dolly Parton. So the son, who just happens to be a podcast producer, meets Dolly Parton because his dad is trying to prove to his son that he knows <laughs> Dolly Parton. Then yes. the son is so impressed that he then makes a podcast about Dolly Parton. Yes. And, that and the podcast is so good. It touches on poverty, race, class. American music, everything. It's so good. Highly so, recommend. So earlier when I said this is now a Dolly Parton fan <laughs> podcast and you said probably not the only one, it's yes. certainly not the only one. Yeah. And that was, I wouldn't even call it a fan podcast, though. It's just so good. It talks about um, these ideas of feminism. It talks about college classes that are based on Dolly Parton. Really good. Highly recommend. And, and I will say... When we think about her and charitable giving, there are dozens of things that she has done that we're not discussing because we can't discuss all of all them. Day. Yeah. But it's not just that she donated a song to AIDS research and donated this $1 million. I mean, millions upon millions of dollars for healthcare, for research, for literacy, for the Red Cross. I mean, just endless almost she's somebody who became very wealthy and never forgot where she came from and you know she sings about it she writes about it i think she has a children's book about where she grew up so i want to talk about her movies for a minute i know we talked about nine to five but she's been in a few movies that i think are really important she's been in a ton of movies but i want to talk about a few Great. uh steel magnolias is that okay. a movie that you're familiar with? I know it exists. Oh my God, you haven't seen Steel Magnolias, Misty. For the, l did I just like personally disappoint you? I don't understand what what your life is if you haven't seen it. Okay, so it's from 1989. It's a comedy drama. It has Sally Field, Shirley MacLaine, Daryl Hannah, Julia Roberts, Dolly Parton. It's a lot of big names. And did you notice they're all women? It's just a movie about women. It's a movie about their relationships and their bonds and their friendships and their love for each other and their fights and how they support each other through good times and bad. How have you not seen this movie? I will try to watch it over Christmas break. Try. She'll try. <laughs>
I'll try. <sighs> very important movie because there are still not very many movies that just have female stars. And for 1989, that was pretty remarkable. What else do I got? How about the best little whorehouse in Texas? Seen that one. You've seen that one. Yes. <sighs> Someday I would like to understand what it is to be Misty. But even with the title, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, this movie was nominated for Oscars, for Golden Globes. It was one of the highest grossing movies of the, of the year when it came out, 1982. And she played a person who ran a brothel, who fell in love with the sheriff who had to shut it down. A remarkable movie. And again, she is in the early 80s playing this very bold character. And not a lot of people would, would play that character quite as well as she does. And she got a lot of criticism for it. And we all know how she responds to criticism. So she did a great job and she wrote some of the music for that movie as well. Okay. I'm hoping you've seen the next movie. I haven't seen it, but I know what it is. And didn't we get see a talk from the author for this? Okay. One? So Dumplin is a movie that's on Netflix. It came out in 2018. It was based on a young adult novel. In the book, the main character is a Dolly Parton super fan. And so she, the main character is a girl who identifies herself as a fat girl. Her mom is played by Jennifer Aniston and her mom runs beauty pageants for teens. And so this girl decides that she's going to be in one of her mom's beauty pageants to just kind of make a statement about body image. And they knew when they were making this movie that it would be very hard to make it authentic without the music of Dolly Parton. But it was a novel adaptation, an indie movie, and so they obviously could not afford to put multiple Dolly Parton songs into this film. And Dolly Parton, who is, as we've said, a very wise, savvy business person, owns the rights to most of her songs. Yes. So they sent a script to her manager and asked if she would be involved. And her manager brought the script to her and she already had read the book. The book was on the shelf in her house. She was familiar with it and already a fan. And I mean, it's a story that Dolly Parton probably had to love, not just because the person in it was obsessed with her music, but because we're talking about body positivity and being confident in your own skin. And so Dolly Parton let them use her music and she wrote an original song for that film. Oh, I didn't know that part. That's cool. And the original song that she wrote for that film was nominated for a bunch of, you know, Golden Globes and Best Original Song. So, again, they couldn't really have made that movie without her music because it's kind of the soundtrack playing in the background of this main character's life. And so the soundtrack for that film came out and had Dolly Parton songs. But the the other cool thing is that the original book that this movie's based on, Dumplin', was written by Julie Murphy. Julie Murphy was a student at the school where we teach Misty. I knew that we had gone to see the author. Yes. And yes, and the author gave a talk uh, at our library when her book came out. So it's almost like we've met Dolly Parton. <laughs> degrees of separation <laughs> so the other thing that i think is remarkable is that dolly parton is in a lot of christmas movies I did you know this until you yeah. put this in the notes and then when i started thinking about it i can think of like a lot of um movie posters with dolly parton on them and like santa hats or like with a tree in the background and I don't know why she's in a lot of Christmas. But she has many Christmas albums. She obviously um, is a person who celebrates Christmas, loves Christmas. I think that you said Dollywood had a lot of Christmas events in, in, oh, yeah. in typical years. Probably not this year. But she's in a lot of Christmas movies. I wonder if it's just an excuse to put out more Christmas albums. Probably. But also, I think maybe she just loves Christmas. I think Christmas just makes people happy. I think it, it's just... Something that brings people joy. I mean, maybe I have a very naive view here of Dolly Parton. And maybe I think she's the saint. But Christmas movies serve almost no purpose other than to make people happy, right? 
I mean, these we don't watch Christmas movies because the themes are speaking to us in ways that help us better understand human existence, right? It's not we're not watching them the same reason we read Shakespeare. We're watching them because they make us feel happy. Yeah, and I would think that that's something that Dolly Parton probably feels pretty strongly about. Just making people feel a little bit happier in their daily lives. Exactly. So in my mind, that's why she's in Christmas movies. I don't know the real reason. So you have something in the notes here Uh that confused me at first. That's not hard to do. Macy's Parade. And that's it. That's all it says. Macy's Parade. So did you watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade this year? No, we usually do. But this year it was... It was late in the day and it was just different. So we didn't watch it. So she, a lot of people say she saved the parade uh, just in terms of watchability. She didn't actually like rescue the Macy's parade, but um, she performed at the parade, but she performed from home. She didn't travel because she travels. Pandemic. Right. Some people chose to travel despite the, questionable safety of travel and she chose not to which as the mother of our vaccine i think is probably wise but um (laughs) but so she performed uh i think she performed holly jolly christmas but it was just like i said so joyful and so fun that even though the parade was kind of ho-hum you left the, you know, you finished the parade and you left it feeling really positive and really ready for Christmas and um, gave you a little holiday spirit despite the hellscape that is 2020. And so it's just this very small thing that she did. And also there, the backdrop, she had like a false backdrop behind her that was like a wintry scene, but she was made it look like she was standing in front of a cracker barrel. <laughs> <laughs> just talk about not forgetting where you come from uh of all the backdrops you choose you choose the backdrop of cracker barrel that's interesting cracker barrel being a i, I don't know how prevalent they are in other parts of the country but there's one right outside dollywood you see them all over the south for sure for sure well you have obama here and i don't know what that refers to so because Dolly Parton has been in the news so much this year, and because apparently she's the only thing Americans can agree on at the moment. That does seem to be true, yes. Obama was kind of joking around, but he said that it was a screw-up not to award Dolly Parton the Presidential Medal of Freedom. You know, one of his regrets from being president is that he did not award her this. I th- So I'm going to click on the link because I don't believe you. <laughs> Oh, he was talking to Stephen Colbert. What do you mean you don't believe me? There's video. Well, it just sounds kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. He said, I assume she'd already gotten one. I was incorrect. She deserves one. Oh, then he said, I'll call Biden. <laughs> yeah, so Biden's on it. Don't worry. Well, you know what? If they don't give her one, it is a mistake. I honestly think she'll probably end up getting one. I don't see how she couldn't. That's a great story. It's sad to me that this is what we can agree on. I, mean, I wish there was more, mm-hmm. but at least we can agree on this. At least Dolly Parton hasn't become politicized. How co- I mean, and, and that is surprising, right? That she hasn't. And well, it's not surprising because she does a lot to avoid it. If you listen to that podcast I was talking about earlier. Uh, they give the phrase dolly ticks. If you listen to her clips when you when she's interviewed, she is amazing at sidestepping political issues. And it's not that she doesn't have opinions. Mm-hmm. It's that she just thinks that her opinions are her opinions. And she doesn't need everyone in the world to know her own opinions. I think there's some criticism against her for that. But at a certain point, that's kind of like saying, well, why isn't this apple a banana? Mm-hmm. If she's not a political commentator, if she's not a politician, then why do we require her to give us political opinions? Why can we not just appreciate her for everything else she's doing in the world? Yeah, and it's not like she's not doing anything. It's not like she's staying neutral while tragedy happens, right? So she's very clearly active in trying to make the world a better place. 
if the only criticism or flaw here is that she's not explicitly expressing political views, I mean, I don't think that's much of a criticism. If she were staying neutral despite, you know, terrible things happening in the world, that would be different. But she's trying to help in all the ways that she knows how. And she's doing a lot more than most people. Exactly. Nobody else is sending every child a book. <laughs> well, not every child. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of childs. Also, the plural of child is children. <laughs> so, Legger, what's next in your lady life? Uh, grading, Misty. Same thing that's uh, every day of my life. Yeah, final exam week is rough, huh? Yeah, and I'm teaching a class over the winter semester, so I'll still just be grading. Oh, so smooth transition. <laughs> what about you? What's next in your lady life? Final exam week. I know it's bad for students, but it's worse for us. I don't know if I'm ready to say that because I remember being a student, but let's just say it's miserable for everyone. They write all those papers, but we have to read them. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and if you want a good book about Dolly and Dollywood, I recommend Pilgrimage to Dollywood. And I'm Allegra, and I'm going to be reading over the break She Come By at Natural, Dolly Parton, and the Women Who Lived Her Songs by Sarah Smarsh. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, which you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Which is extremely great, but not nearly as great as Dolly Parton. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who's been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast and your favorite Dolly Parton song to a friend. And remember, wear a mask. Still, just keep keep wearing it. I'm just, I'm still reading the comments on this video. I have yet to get to a negative comment. And if you are familiar with YouTube comments. Isn't that amazing?